Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shubha Glani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Beth Bierbauer, who's been a longtime senior executive at Humana, who focused on innovation in various parts of the business. She was also known at Humana and beyond as a champion for women, serving as a mentor, sponsor, and advocate in the workplace. Beth has also established herself as a thought leader around emerging consumer healthcare trends and has her own podcast called B-Time, which solidifies that role. And I'd also like to thank Osmosis Advisor, Bunny Elrin, who is also a guest on Raise Line for the introduction to Beth. So Beth, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So can you first tell us a bit more about your background beyond what I said there, how you pursued your career within healthcare, and then most recently, the launch of your podcast? We'd love to hear about it. Sure. So I've been in healthcare over 30 years, sort of fell into it by accident. It was a, a summer job while I was going to college. I started with a medical assistance HMO. And two years after I graduated, I ended up with an HMO, again, that became a part of Coventry. So I was one of the first 20 employees with Coventry Healthcare that has since been acquired by Aetna. And then I worked for Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield, and then I spent 19 years with Humana, which I retired from at the end of last year. Because I've been in the industry so long, I've really been very fortunate that I've held a variety of positions. So I've done everything from provider contracting to operations to innovation, and it's really given me a nice broad view of the healthcare ecosystem. As I mentioned, I retired at the end of last year, and when I was at Humana, I spent a lot of time helping our associates focus on career and professional development. And I thought, how am I going to continue to interact with folks once I'm, once I'm gone? So I thought that maybe a podcast would be a good way for me to continue to bring learning to those people that I really, really care about, which are people in the industry that I've met over the years. So I tap into my network and people have been extremely gracious and have come on the show and I interview seasoned executives and founders of startups and we talk about business trends and insights and leadership journey and it's just a platform for people who really want to invest in themselves and their careers and take a little time out and, and learn. That's awesome. And that's definitely been our experience here at Raise Line as well as you get to, to meet a lot of very interesting people. And, and the most fulfilling thing, apart from meeting those folks, is hearing you know more about their careers, but also where they see the next few years going. It's hard enough to predict the next week uh, in these days of the COVID pandemic, let alone what the next few years are looking like. You know, you are, I think, the, the most experienced guest we've had in, from the payer side of things. Would love to hear, you know, more about the evolution that you've seen over the years you've worked as in the, in the payer system. And then moving forward, what are some of the major things you're, you're thinking will happen in a post-COVID world with regards to the payers? Sure. Well, when I started out, it was with a managed care organization. So there really was a strong focus on prevention and starting to have that care coordination. But what I've really seen us shift is more into that direction over the years, really trying to put the, the patient or the member, as, as we refer to them in the, in the payer side, at the center of everything we do and worry less about the claims transaction and focus more on the clinical interactions, the engagement, the interventions. And Shiv, as you know, as an industry, we've gotten smarter in total, and now we're focusing on things like social determinants of health and behavioral health and really starting to look at the consumer much more holistically. So it's really been great to see that shift over time from insurance transaction, what's your ID number, to really beginning to understand what's going on with that person, 
what are the determinants that are impacting them? What context do we really need to think about when we're, when we're dealing with an individual and really trying to help them achieve or maintain optimal health? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely been the consumerization of healthcare has definitely been something we've been tracking and the expectations around healthcare have changed a lot. And I think COVID, from our perspective, has, has, has made people very interested in the fact that, hey, just because I lost my job, why do I have to lose my healthcare? You know, with tens of millions of people over the past few months who have lost their jobs. And obviously it's an election year, so it has a lot of implications there. What do you think consumer expectations post-COVID will be like and how should health plans and providers react to those? And that's a great question. There are a couple of things that I'm seeing from a consumer perspective. Safety is paramount. So consumers will be worried about safety for some time to come. So telemedicine will be something that providers need to continue to embrace moving forward. As an example, my father-in-law is 91 years of age, and we moved all his, his routine appointments to telemedicine. The one physician that said, I don't do telemedicine, we switched physicians because we weren't going to have a 91-year-old traipsing into a doctor's office to have his blood pressure taken, right? Because obviously he's considered very, very vulnerable. So I think telemedicine is going to be really important from a safety perspective. And also like the cleaning and disinfecting practices, people are really worried about that. And I think people are just going to be much more alert to that, particularly as we're coming into the fall again, flu season will be approaching soon. The second thing, and you touched upon it, you know, people have had reduced hours, they've lost their jobs. And I think financially, it's going to take a while for people to recover, Shiv. It's not going to be overnight. A lot of companies did a lot of great things back in March and April. The telecom company said, listen, you have a grace period to pay for your mobile phone or your internet. And of course, health plans stepped up and waived co-pays and things like that. But I really think consumers are going to continue to need some wiggle room financially. So I would really encourage providers, health plans, how are we going to help a patient maybe find a drug subsidization program, right? That for their specialty drug, if it's $400 a month, how do they get it subsidized down to $20 a month? And how do you give somebody a wiggle room if they can't afford their, their premium payment? And then there are two other things I'd just like to raise real quickly. You mentioned one of them, consumer expectations. Your podcast is called Raise the Line. Well, I'm going to play on that a little bit because the bar has really been raised here. Early on, if you think about grocery delivery as an example, it was sort of clunky. There were supply disruptions. But even within that, Amazon and others weren't really performing well. And then they stepped up, and I'll use them, Amazon, as an example, is not only now can I order my groceries and have them delivered within two hours, they have the proper packaging, everything's sealed, so you know nobody's in there rooting around, right? If you have something fresh or more fragile, they have extra padding. We're not like that in healthcare, right? We don't focus on the consumer. But now that they have these expectations, they're going to say, well, wait a minute. Number one, I'm not coming into your office for a routine visit. You need to be able to talk to me via telemedicine. You need to have those cleanliness practices. And you need to have technology that I can use. Shiv, the last time I had to have a test, which was about eight months ago, first of all, I was admonished for bringing an e-card, ID card. I didn't bring my plastic ID card. And, and the receptionist just didn't know what to do with me or what to do with the fact that I didn't have a plastic card that they could put on the copy machine, right? And then I needed to get a piece of paper that I had at home to them. And I said, well, if you just give me your email address, I'll scan it when I get home and you'll, you'll have it this afternoon. And no, we, we have a fax number, she said, or you can mail it. And I said, I don't do fax. And she goes, well, that's the only thing we do do. 
So I think we're going to have to really think about those consumer expectations, especially if we're going to contact with payment world now, right? Yet somebody still wants you to bring an ID card. So we have to think about that. And then the last thing, Shiv, that I would just suggest is information. There's been a lot of information over the last seven months, right? And some of it has changed over that time period. I think consumers are really going to be looking for a trust source of information, specifically when the vaccines start to get released. Do I need to get one now? Should I hang back and wait? And, you know, what, what should I really do? And I think they'll turn to providers. I think they'll turn to health plans. I think they'll want to hear from a variety of sources what they really need to do. So those are the four areas, financially helping people out, customer expectations being raised, information, and, you know, really understanding it that and making sure that it's convenient for people to get access through safety. I think those are really the four areas that are going to be on top of people's mind moving forward. That's fascinating. Thank, I mean, that's a great, great ba- breakdown. You know, I definitely can concur with the health information. I mean, we've had so much conflicting information over the past few months. And I think uh, consumers have lost faith in even some very trusted institutions because of the politicization of a lot of this information. One thing we've been working on very strongly on osmosis is obviously not just provider and, and student education, but then, you know, we're working with YouTube and we actually just released a video just yesterday on how the COVID-19 vaccine is being developed because there's so much misinformation around, around that. So I wholeheartedly agree with, with you on that. You know, you have a lot of startup leaders and healthcare leaders on your, on your podcast as well. I'll take those in turn. Number one, what do you think, what startups most excite you in this post-COVID world or co- during the COVID crisis? And what are some of the obstacles that you think they should be focused on? And then secondly, we'll go into the healthcare leadership. And, you know, if you're talking to a healthcare system CEO, what types of things do you, do you say to her or him? Sure. So you're, you're right, Shiv. There are a lot of exciting startups that are out there, whether I'm working with them or just things that I'm, I'm seeing out there. Some in the telebehavioral health space, as an example, I think are really exciting. Some people are starting to take on logistics, as an example. More startups helping vulnerable populations. Uh, startups around uh, what I refer to as cultural competency, if you will, really focused on certain ethnicities and their needs as a population from, from a health perspective. So there is no shortage of the types of startups that are that are out there. And the one thing that they do really well is they identify a problem and then they go after it. The one thing I think that startups will have to continue to focus on and an obstacle they have is oftentimes they bring a point solution to the table. And when you're trying to work with a health plan or a major provider system, bringing a bunch of individual point solutions to the table can be actually more disruptive (laughs) than it is beneficial. So I encourage startups to say, let's step back, take a look at it either from the health plan or the provider perspective and, and determine how you actually fit into the bigger picture, not just that you're you know, zeroing in here and you're going to not worry about anything else. You really have to become, become integrated. And I've seen the startups really step up during this time as well. One of them, the home logistics company, actually helped out a major city where some of the smaller mom and pop shops had shut down during the pandemic. And they were able to get durable medical equipment to people who needed walkers and nebulizers and different things like that were really, really important. So, and the telebehavioral health provider example really expanded their capacity and, and focused on people with even more serious mental illnesses who could have very easily fallen through the, through the gaps. When I think about large companies and leaders of the health systems, the health plans, there's no shortage of, I'm sure, you know, of issues to really focus on or, or to tackle. I think we have to continue to 
focus on prevention, early detection. I think we have to continue to focus on holistic care. I mentioned earlier social determinants of health. We really have to start to get to the root cause on some of this. And then, of course, we have to continue to focus on care delivery. And, and I'd say, how do we get faster and smarter in that? How do we bring products to market faster? And how do we do it in a more efficient way? How do we really double down and invest in things like AI and telemedicine, things that can actually help us get to rural areas, get things out to people in a much more efficient and faster time frame? Yeah, I mean, that's, I've definitely also been impressed with how startups have kind of accelerated some of their initiatives. They're done completely different things. For example, one of my one of my friends is the co-founder of a outdoor hiking apparel company called Cotopaxi, which a lot of people they're sort of like Patagonia. And they adjusted because they had a supply chain in, in China and in Asia, they actually adjusted and started making masks very early on. A lot of companies I know have done that to raise line as well. But clearly, you know, healthcare startups have done a lot over the past few months. In some ways they've seen a lot of acceleration because of especially telehealth. I mean you mentioned behavioral telehealth a number of times. And there was a really interesting article about how Talkspace has been trying to adapt quite a bit to enable their counselors to do interstate counseling because that scope of practice is a big issue, has been a big issue for years. And hopefully that's something that'll change as a result of COVID. So what are some of the lasting changes you think COVID will bring upon the healthcare system? Because I know everyone talks about telemedicine, everyone talks about the consumerization of healthcare, but what are some of the things that you think will be with us five years from now as a result of things that happened over the past few months? Well, this may be more of a hope or a wish, but I do hope that we step back and look at our public health infrastructure. It's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, and I think people did a wonderful job with what they have, but I think we all know lots of different information out there, lots of inconsistencies, and there are various levels of public health, right? There's federal, there's state, there's the local level. And it didn't seem to be connected really well. You had one state doing one thing, another state doing something else, yet somebody else, even in a county within a state, was doing something different than maybe what the governor wanted. So I think this presents a real opportunity for us to step back and look at our public health infrastructure and determine where were the gaps and what can we do better and where do we need to allocate our resources? And that doesn't necessarily mean We have to throw more money at it. Maybe it's about how we reallocate the dollars that we have. And as we think about that, because we know something will come again, right? And and people are going to be really hyped up even this fall as we approach flu season. But how do we balance containing a virus like this with both the economic and the human impact? And then how do we start to have a framework for decision-making? So I think a lot of opportunity here to really become best in class in the world, if you will, at, at public health. Yeah, no, I mean, I couldn't couldn't agree more. I like your analogy of the not not Monday, being a Monday morning quarterback. I mean, for a team to be successful, there have to be different players. And you know, we talked about startups, we talked about payers, providers, but the patients themselves, right? We all have to play a role here. And you know, things like the public health, we, we were just talking about where people should be wearing masks or should, you know, if they're high risk groups, should be getting their flu shots or in general should be in their flu shots is a really important thing. So, you know, we are a teaching company or training company at our core at Osmosis. What are some of the places where you see the most knowledge gaps? You know, are there topics, like if you could snap your fingers and have us create courses on specific areas, what would you like to see us do? I'd say two, two areas. Number one is, as I mentioned earlier, we don't really think about the consumer in healthcare too much. If you look at other industries, they obsess over the consumer, right? Especially in, in retail. And they think about their needs, their, their progress, what, what job are they trying to accomplish, if you will. 
And we don't. It's typically the providers at the center, and then we sort of revolve around that. And again, that's not being negative because, I mean, our providers are our heroes, right? But when you start to think about what happens if I actually put the consumer at the center, because it's not working this way, right? It's too expensive. People are not adhering to treatment plans. They're not taking their medication. So how do we have people that are going through, you know, professionals going through clinical training, get them into customer experience a little bit, right? As I have gone through the ranks in in my um, career, I've had people tell me, you ought to be asking when your next focus group is, when you're going to be in front of of somebody else. And and I've really made observation a key part of what I do in and outside of, of work. And, you know, providers are on the front line. So they really have the impact. They really understand consumers. Yet we don't often really bring them into the loop. So I would like to see more of that in particular. And then just something I was thinking about personally that's really helped me recently, I wish I had it earlier in my career, is I think it's really important to know yourself. And when I say know yourself, know your tendencies, know your strengths and know your weaknesses, because the earlier you can figure some of that out, I think you can optimize then your career, your your passions. And I'd like to share a quick story with you is back in 2015, I was reading a book by a lady by the name of Gretchen Rubin. She writes on happiness and habits and different things like that. And it was the book is better than before. And she had this chapter called The Four Tendencies. And these are your tendencies as it relates to meeting expectations. And it was like I was hit by a lightning bolt because there's a rebel, a questioner, an upholder, and an obliger. And I realized I'm an obliger. And here's why that was important. As an obliger, I have no problem meeting anybody else's expectations. My boss wants something done, he or she gets it, never has to ask again, right? And doesn't have to prod me anything for my family. But I like to accomplish things for me too, but I'd always have a hard time with that because I was putting everybody and everybody else, everybody and everything else first. So once I learned that and really got to know myself and I said, okay, I want to write a book. Then I realized I had to set up an accountability structure, meaning I had to tell some friends that I was going to write a book. And then that way I would get it done because I would never disappoint my friend. But if I kept it to myself, that book might never get done. Right. So I just think it's important early on to really know who you are because that way then you can, take those deficiencies and figure out how to work with those, right? And how to then really be able to optimize what you can bring, not only to your professional life, but also to your personal life. That's a really interesting point. And one of my anatomy partners in in Hopkins Med was, this was her third career and she was in her thirties. Whereas most people, you know, in med school, a lot of them are like one or two or maybe three years out of college. So they're still kind of figuring themselves out and what they want out of life and what their values are, but she knew exactly what she wanted. She knew who she was. She knew what she wanted to do. And obviously we're still changing people at forward in their forties, fifties, sixties are still obviously all changing, but the pace of change seems to slow down after, after, you know, your thirties or so. And so I'm a big fan of people taking the time to know who they are and, and all that. I mean, just like the social determinants of health are really important. Having healthcare heroes and providers who truly understand what drives them and how to take care of themselves first you know, fill their cup, as we've mentioned before, trying to fill everyone else's is is important, especially given the the burnout crisis. So on that, I'm curious, what what advice would you give to our audience, mostly current and future healthcare professionals, or or really anyone considering a career in healthcare? What type of advice would you like to give them? Sure, a couple things. First thing is, I would say, step in and step up. 
by that, what I mean is become the go-to person. Early on in my career, I was known as the go-to person. And people would say, well, let's give it to Beth. She'll figure it out. And it didn't mean that they were dumping on me, but it meant that if there was a unique project or something like that, that they didn't know what quite to do with, they knew that I would take great care. I would investigate. I would learn. And I would bring a good solution to the table. And why that was important is it gave me the opportunity to get exposure to senior leaders in the organization, number one. And number two, it allowed them to see my capabilities. So I would say, particularly if you're earlier in your career, try to really be that go-to person. But continue as, as you progress to figure out how you can serve on cross-functional committees and different things like that to get that exposure. Second thing I'd say is your career is yours for a reason. It's nobody else's. People may help you from time to time. But nobody's going to guide you and say, here's what you do next, here's what you do next. You have to build a roadmap. And then you, you take that roadmap. And what I encourage people to do is say, listen, where do you want to be five years from now? And then back down from that and say, okay, well, gosh, if I want to be vice president of X, do I have all the skills and capabilities? What gaps do I have? Well, if I have a gap here, maybe that means my next role, if I want to be vice president of provider contracting, maybe my next role is to get into the provider area and fill in that gap and go out in the field and be a provider contractor, as an example. And then have those dialogues with your leader on a quarterly basis about where you want to go, what you want to do, how you're performing, where they see your gaps are. So I always tell people, I'm a Lifetime Weight Watchers member, and we have a saying, failure to plan is a plan to fail. <laughs> so, you know, having a plan, and you do have to have that. And once you have that, and you can share that with your boss and other leaders in the company, then they're like going, oh. It's succession planning time. Oh, or opening. Oh, let's put Beth in here. Let's put Chip in here because I was talking to him and this is really where he wants to go. So I think that's really, really important. The other thing I would say is I have two more things. Is be intellectually curious. Just absorb everything. I wish if I were in an interview, interviewing somebody, I wish I could go, reach back and talk to their parents and ask them if that person was a pain in the butt as a child. Because if they said yes, because he or she were always asking why, 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 I try that person on the spot, right? Because they're intellectually curious. And be that inside your industry and outside your industry, be a well-rounded person, you know, learn what consumers are talking about, especially looking at other industries. There's lots we can pour from other industries back into healthcare. And then the last thing I would say is please, please have a growth mindset. Think like a rookie. And the minute you think you're the smartest person in the room, you stop learning, and that's a problem. That's clear. I mean, in your intro, I mentioned that you have been an advisor, a sponsor, and advocate for, for many people in throughout your career. It's clear from that, just that answer, you've helped a lot of people uh, by giving them advice like that. The growth mindset really resonates. We actually have a value at Osmosis. One of our six core values is reach further, which is all about obviously trying to improve yourself. And I love that, that mathematical equation of compounding where if you become 1% better every day at the end of the year, you're 37 times better. And so very, very interesting. Since we're coming up on time, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience that I haven't asked you about today? I would just say you are our next generation of healthcare leaders and healthcare professionals, and we're counting on you for the future. So I hope that you embrace your passion and I hope you are a continuous curious learner lifelong because you're the ones that are going to be leading this industry going forward. So take full advantage of it and give it your best. And with that, those are some inspiring words. So Beth, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Shiv. I really appreciate it. And I'm Shiv Rivani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. 
And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line since we're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.